0: In World War II, a group of mathematicians, statisticians to be more precise, were tasked with finding ways to reinforce fighter planes without compromising them with too much weight. So they set about cataloging the damage from planes that would come back from combat. Many of the planes were covered in bullet holes on their wings, fuselage and fuel systems. So with this in mind, one of the statisticians, Abraham Wald, suggested something crazy that the best area to reinforce these planes is where the bullet holes weren't. So what was his reasoning behind this? If you've never heard the story, you'll have to wait till the end of our intro for the answer. Cue the music, Carlos. Welcome to Viable Underdogs, where we try and teach you some cool stuff and hopefully encourage everyone to become a bit more sustainable. My name is John. Carlos is with me keeping everything here finely tuned. This is episode number 7. In this episode, we're chatting about statistics and how they can often be misleading. We also explore an example of this in regards to the world's problem with plastic pollution in the oceans. So why reinforce the planes where the bullet holes weren't? Abraham Wald had looked at the data and realized that there was a crucial part missing. The planes that had crashed and not returned home. The planes that did come back did not need reinforcement where the bullet holes were since they could operate well enough with bullet holes in those areas to get the pilot and plane home. It was those areas that had no bullet holes that were the most vulnerable since those planes could not continue to operate when hit in those locations. This does a good job of highlighting a possible benefit of statistics and math while also showing the potential downsides of incorrectly interpreting the data. The group of statisticians could have easily reinforced the areas of the planes where the bullet holes were resulting in further loss of life of its pilots. And this is a possible danger with statistics. They are a powerful tool when used correctly, but can often have devastating consequences if interpreted incorrectly. They can also be used to further a writer's agenda. Here's an example using the exact same sentence and statistic, but changing a few keywords and tone. Number 1. Since 1880, the global temperature on Earth has risen only about 0.8 degrees Celsius. Number two, since 1880, the global temperature on Earth has risen almost 1 degree Celsius. Number three, since 1880, the global temperature on Earth has risen 1.4 degrees. In the first two examples, we swapped out the word almost and rounded upwards. The last example, we dish the degrees to Fahrenheit since it's a higher number and we drop the unit. This would give the impression to anyone outside of the US that the number is doubled if they assume the units to be Celsius and not in Fahrenheit. So you can see how we can use this statistics to promote an agenda. We can make an issue appear bigger or smaller by adding buzzwords and dropping key info, such as the unit the temperature was recorded in in the previous example. Another problem with the previous example is a lack of reference. What the heck does a 1 degree increase in global temperatures amount to anyway? After all, the difference between a 30 degree day and a 31 degree day is pretty insignificant, whether we use Fahrenheit or Celsius. And this can be some of the problem with the data. 1 or 2 degrees may not make an impact on the heat you feel on a warm sunny day, but I'm sure you'll feel a 1 or 2 degree temperature in body heat when you have a fever. Without a proper reference, the number means nothing to the average person who doesn't have a degree in atmospheric science. And this can make it difficult to analyze problems and solutions. Even in the course of research for this show, we come up with a range of different statistics for the same factor, depending on the source they were pulled from. And this does not always necessarily come from a place where the author is trying to deceive anyone. We'll go into that and more examples in another episode, but in this episode, we're going to revert back to something we mentioned in episode number one. The plastics in our ocean. The projection suggests there will be more plastic than fish in the oceans within the next few decades. Now this plastic does come from various sources, and one of the sources some people like to lay a significant portion of the blame to is China. Here's the statistic. Upwards of about 90% of the plastics in our oceans can be traced back to only 10 rivers. See how I used only again? Eight of which are in Asia, and the Yangtze River in China is suspected to be the largest contributor. So given this statistic, it could be determined that plastic is largely a problem associated with developing nations and not Western countries, right? Well, according to a report published by the International Solid Waste Association in 2014, China is also the largest importer for waste plastics. They receive about 56% of global waste plastics by weight. Waste is a big problem and can be quite expensive to deal with, especially in some places that have stricter environmental regulations. You know, the type of regulations that may prevent a country from dumping all of its untreated waste directly into the ocean. So a country may opt instead to pay a country to take the garbage off their hands and then look the other way with what that country does with this newfound bounty. Then, the original country can keep their environmental track record clean and place blame on the country technically responsible for filling the oceans with their garbage. We're not here to point fingers, and China has made some headway on this front and has begun putting a stop to the import of foreign garbage. This means that many nations that export their garbage have to find a new market to accept their waste. Any nation that needs to export its waste to foreign markets with much more relaxed environmental policies does not have its waste management under control. And then to further add to this problem by claiming the recipient country of said garbage is a source of the world's plastic problem is, well, kind of dumb. Sustainability is a global problem and needs to be addressed on a global level. Hypocritical finger-pointing is not going to result in any meaningful change. As a species, we really need to move away from the mindset of single-use items for the sole purpose of convenience. And we also need to move away from the throwaway culture in general. Eventually, we will run out of countries willing to import garbage and we will live in a world where the oceans are populated by plastic waste instead of marine life. Cheers! One of the points in this episode we were really trying to drive home is the idea to be very critical of headlines you may read or hear or statistics often used on the subject? They don't always tell the full story. We do our best to make sure that the information and statistics we present on our show is as transparent and neutral as possible. This can often be difficult due to examples such as the one just shared. And if anything we do report on is inaccurate or misleading, please let us know by emailing us at viableunderdogs at gmail.com. Our intro music is composed by Mark Karnowski, and the music currently playing by Jonathan Atkinson. We intend to get our website up and running in the near future. Until then, you can learn more about waste at iswa.org. That's the International Solid Waste Association, where we reference the report about China's waste, entitled Global Recycling Markets, Plastic Waste.